Morning, fellowship. Glad to see you guys and all of you online. Welcome this morning. Um, my name is Larry Kayser, and I am the marriage pastor here at Fellowship, and I also have the privilege of serving on the elder board. So I'm just thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, how many of you uh, saw an email from Lloyd in the last, on this past Friday, I guess? Did you guys see that? Hands up. The rest of you didn't see it yet? Okay. My instructions to you is, Go find it this afternoon before it gets buried too far down your email chain. And you can see what we've done is we send out a series response reminder. So when you click on that link, it's going to take you to a page that's going to ask you the question, how has God changed your heart, grown you spiritually, or made himself more known to you through our study on the Sermon on the Mount? And you're going to get a chance just to fill a few sentences in right there and then send it back. And I just want to tell you that there is nothing more encouraging not only to you, but to those who lead up here, but most importantly to all of us in the body of Christ here at Fellowship, to be able to hear, literally hear, see, read how God has worked throughout the body over the last, since last August, I guess. It's how long we've been in this series. So please take the time to find that email and to fill that out if you would. Well, I just got back from Florida which is a pretty rare experience for me. And what was really rare about it is this is the very first time in my life I've actually gone on a vacation that I didn't plan and I didn't pay for. I was there with my daughter, son-in-law, and three of our grandkids and just got invited. It was an amazing experience. I just loved it. So here's the thing, when I was down there, you know, the last few days we were there, it got really pretty brisk, windy, uh, down by the water, just downright chilly. But the wind was just howling. And so the last three days, we had double red flags up on the beach all day, all night for three days. And so those are your basic warning flags. And when there's two of them up there, not only are the waves you know, dangerous, but there's um, riptides as well. And so they don't let you in the water. So I literally lived those last three days of our vacation with these warning flags flying. And honestly, I thought it was kind of appropriate because the last three weeks here at Fellowship, we could have put those outside in our flagpole too. We, we've had warning flags flying the last few weeks as we have come to the final few, few verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And so our red flags have been up because we've had, this will be our fourth week of warnings, if you will. So you remember the first warning was the narrow way and the broad way and the need to be able to discern the difference. And the narrow way, the warning is that very few there are that find it and the broad way is the easy way. And then we talked about the ability to discern and recognize false teachers. And we talked about how there are sheep and wolves clothing out there and how dangerous a wolf is to sheep. But then last week, um, and I thought Lloyd really did a great job talking through what, what I think is one of the most challenging um, and maybe, uh, I don't know, um, dis uncomfortable passages really in the Gospels uh, that we talked about last week. And I want to spend a few minutes going back over what Lloyd said last week because I think um, 
it is a really valuable transition to the last warning, which is the story of the two builders. And so let's uh, open your Bibles with it or your phone or whatever you have with you this morning to uh, Matthew 7. And I'm going to read back through Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That passage is pretty stunning to read. And Lloyd talked about a few really significant distinctions in that passage. In the first one, he used the word that there's an orthodox profession, simply meaning that um, when they came and said, Lord, Lord, that they were expressing their belief in who Jesus was. They were expressing it honestly. They were expressing it even in a orthodox kind of way. And as a matter of fact, in the text where the, it's repeated, Lord, Lord, in the Semitic world, whenever names or something like that's repeated, it almost always wants to express passion, emotional commitment, like this is something that's important. And so you have this Lord, Lord, this orthodox expression of true belief in Jesus, and you have the, the engaged passion underneath it that's communicated in the text. And then you have what Lloyd talked about last week was an impressive spiritual resume. So you, you know that they are prophesying, casting out demons, doing many mighty works in your name. But it somehow isn't enough, won't get them into heaven on that day. And Lloyd talked about on that day, that phrase meaning the judgment day. And so the last uh, piece that Lloyd used to describe uh, what was going on in that passage, he talked about a devastating declaration. Depart from me, I never knew you. That's the declaration on that day. You know, there's really a couple of different ways to respond to that, right? I mean, one way, and I think probably the intention of the author is that everybody who reads that text, everybody who reads it, makes you stop and think, right? Because what, what follower of Jesus that would be in the room today or in any church anywhere wouldn't want to be described as a, somebody who passionately believes the right thing about who Jesus is? and who is giving their lives to significant spiritual work in the name of Jesus. So the reality is if you were to see people who didn't reflect those things, you would be almost certain they weren't believers, right? And so when you read that, you think to yourself, man, I would hope that those things are true of me. But then he says, depart from me, I never knew you. 
So one response to that is to ask yourself the question, wow, what are my works and commitments made of? Like, am I okay? That's obviously a question that almost all of us could ask of that text. But here's another thing that dawned on me this week as I just prayed over this and thought about it this week. And, and I, I'm really appreciative, actually, of this little insight the Spirit nudged in me this week. You know, there's not one of us in this room that has reached the day of that, on that day moment in our life. There's no judgment day moment for any of us. None of us are there. And the thing that's interesting is that you and I have a pretty unique opportunity here because it is an ominous warning for sure, but it also is an invitation to relationship with Jesus. You know, what he did was, he, in, in the midst of that warning, he said to all those who would come later, everybody who would come later, Jesus has told us all what he desires. He desires a relationship with us. And you know, it, it's easier sometimes to uh, want something that feels more concrete. Like, give me 10 things to do. I like the 10 commandments, right? Give me 10 things I got to do, and then I know I'm in. Instead, what he tells us in the midst of that warning is what I desire is relationship. And actually, I think you'll find that that's really good news. So the final warning now in this chapter is expressed through a very well-known story about two men, two homes, and two foundations, and the peril and calamities of life that each of them are going to experience. One Jesus calls wise, and one he calls a fool. And I would submit to you that from the outside looking in, it would be very hard to tell the difference. They look like two absolutely identical houses, and nothing, nothing becomes visibly different about these houses until the storms of life come crashing into it. Then the foundations become visible. So this final parable, in some ways, is a call to look back and embrace, really embrace this whole big message of what the Sermon on the Mount was about. Because what we're going to talk about our foundations, like what's the foundation? What's the rock we're building our life on? And this parable is trying to answer a story, answer a question that I believe describes the essence of the whole Sermon on the Mount. So let's take a look at our passage this morning. Chapter seven starts in verse 24. And it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came 
and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You know, when you look at that passage, you know, you see that the, the difference in that passage is simply one does and one doesn't do. Really, that's the primary difference. They both hear, one does and one doesn't do. So I want to begin this morning and I want to show you a picture of a house that has survived a pretty big hurricane. It's a picture taken in 2018 and the house was poured from concrete reinforced steel cables and rebar with additional concrete bolstering the corners of the house. The space under the roof was minimized so that wind could not sneak in underneath it and lift it off and the home's elevation on the pilings was meant to keep it above the surge of seawater that accompanies powerful hurricanes. So there was an interview with this man who built this house after the storm. And he said, I built this house myself, the man replied. I also built it according to the Florida State Building Code. And when the code called for two by six trusses, I used two by six trusses. And I was told that a house built according to code could withstand a hurricane. It did, and I did. I suppose no one else around here followed the code. <laughs> you know, I bet you if you would have drove around that area before this hurricane hit, my guess is that if you were driving up and down the streets there, you would have had a very hard time, at least the untrained eye would have had a very hard time figuring out which house which buildings in there were built to code and which ones were not. And not until the storms arrived was the foundation revealed. Not altogether different than our life when you think about it. So an, ar an article published in Forbes magazine in 2019 said that implementing an array of storm resistance measures including some of those advised by the Insurance Institute, would add over $50,000 to the cost of a typical house. So there would definitely be a cost involved if you were going to build this thing up to code. So in our story this morning, both builders knew the building code, so to speak. Now this building code isn't an engineering code. It's not quite as concrete, if you will, but nonetheless, both builders knew the building code. The, the text says that everyone who hears these words of mine. So they knew. So what words? Well, the ones we're talking about, the ones we've been studying since last August, is the Sermon on the Mount. It is these words that we're talking about. So both of these builders had the same truth, had the same access to these, to these words, and were absolutely in the same exact you know, had the same exact opportunity. So obedience that is open and honest enough to deal with what is underneath this iceberg, you know, is, I think I lost my spot there. So both, yeah, both of them had access to the right way. We've said this over and over again, that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we hear the words of Jesus constantly calling us to obedience of the heart, obedience that's open and honest enough that we can 
deal with this with what's under the iceberg, with what's down below the surface, not always what's sitting right on the top or the surface of our life or our mind. It's not just being obedient to the watching eyes of the world around you, but it's the kind of obedience that allows God's spirit to speak to your heart about your heart, your attitude, your pride, your need to be seen, whatever it might be, not to be numb to the need of spiritual and emotional bridge to our motives. So everyone who hears these words, both of them knew the building code. Both builders believed that their house will stand. I would bet you anything if you ask the people in that neighborhood about whether or not their house could stand. I bet you anything. Most of them said, oh, we, we could do, at least take a category three, maybe a four. My five might scare me a little, but yeah, I think we'd be okay. I, I just gotta believe the vast majority of people built their house and thought it's gonna stand. They just didn't really believe that it would be them. At least they surely hoped it would. So both builders built in the, in the same general location, you figure, because... They, they essentially built to withstand the very same types of storms, right? So, and they both experienced the same storms of life. And this is crucial. Whether you build on the rock or whether you've built on the sand, whether you've obeyed or whether you've disobeyed, whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, it is not if they come, it's when they come. It's like if you build your house on a hurricane path, you might go for 20 years without a hurricane, but one day, one day, it's coming. The hurricane will come, and it will pound the house. And you know, sometimes we think that even being a Christian somehow will spare us from the calamities and the pain of life, but I know, I know that if I went around this room and I surveyed the room, there wouldn't be a single person in this room who hasn't experienced floods and pounding rain and winds in your life. We're all going to be slammed by the calamities and the struggles of life in this very broken world one thing is sure, though, and this is absolutely true for all of us, the storms that come have tremendous power to reveal the condition of our foundation. A lot of us could testify to that truth as well. So the rock in this passage are the words of Jesus. His sermon his instructions for living a life with a secure foundation. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is by far the largest red letter section in the, in the Gospels, the red letters of the words of Jesus in the entire Gospels. It is Jesus, his instruction, his heart, his understanding of the Gospel. It's coming in full force to us in this Sermon on the Mount. So those are the things that were the same about these two builders. So what is the one difference between these two builders? The difference is not what they heard. It was their response to what they heard. This is a really important thing to, to grasp. You know, the gospel, the truth of the gospel reveals itself by far most often in how we respond to sin, 
how we respond to struggle, to calamities, to difficulties in this life. You know, nothing is going to protect us from occasional sin or disappointing somebody or hurting somebody or losing our temper or cheating on our tax, whatever it might be. We are all vulnerable to the brokenness of this world. We are. But the question isn't whether that happens. The question is, what do we do with it? The gospel, in its essence, God is not nearly as... as um, grieved by our sin as he is by how we respond to our sin. Because that is the essence of the gospel. When you, when you blow it in your house with your spouse, with your kids, or, or at work, or wherever it is, and you've, you need to go say, I am sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Every time you do that, every time you recover from sin, from a loss, from a disappointment, from hurting somebody, every time that happens, you are expressing the gospel into your life. Every time we recover from failure with grace, the gospel comes alive. That's one of the most powerful ways your children will ever see and know the gospel is by having a home where the way you respond to conflict and disappointment and struggle is rooted in the humility and grace of the gospel. And that doesn't mean you don't discipline. The Bible says, you know, you, God disciplines those whom he loves. And if he, doesn't, if he doesn't discipline us, we're like illegitimate children. So it's not like there's no discipline. That's not what I mean. But I mean that there is this, this atmosphere in your home that the gospel drives your response to the struggles and pain in your home. And it's your children see the gospel lived and it's such a, it's such a gift. <clears throat> so <clears throat> this is how I would characterize these two builders in terms of how they responded to the words of Jesus, the rock. The first one, um, the one who built his house on the sand, he's building, I, I would say that building his life on the sand means that he's living with a self-oriented selective obedience, a self-oriented, selective obedience. So what exactly do I mean by that? Well, the foolish man lives in this self-oriented, selective obedience. And, and what that means is he refuses to let go of control. He refuses to let go of making his own or her own choice. And by the way, the, the, the word fool in the Proverbs, and there's many, many comparisons in the Proverbs between a foolish man and a wise man. The word fool in the Proverbs means a person who's bent to go their own way. And this is a great way of describing the foolish man in this little parable. So I don't want to give up control of who and when I'll forgive somebody. I don't want to give up my choice of who, how, when I'll be generous to somebody. What enemy I'll choose to pray for. Who and when would I turn the other cheek? Or will I trust that God will provide? Or am I going to, am I going to take something for myself? In other words... 
I, I've built my life on a foundation essentially around my own ability to manage and control my life. So the Sermon on the Mount is this enormous expression of the heart of God about living life in a way that's not natural. I mean, loving your enemy and turning the other cheek and not going one mile, but going with them two miles or, you know, anger that is treated like murder and lust that's treated like adultery and the ability to trust God um, over, over our anxiety to the point, you know, because the Bible says that he provides for the grasses of the field and the lilies. You, you know, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is this sort of upside down way of life. And it's so hard for us to let go. And so the foolish man, for the foolish man, the need and the desire to control, to grip, to keep um, possession of my own ability to choose, that becomes his foundation. And it's why it's described as sand. Because here's what we know is true. When the rains come and the floods come and the winds blow and the house collapses, when the calamities come, we discover painfully quickly we are simply not in control. And what I would say to you is that if the first time you begin to learn that you're not in control is when you're in a really hard crisis or season that takes your breath away. You find out in this painful way that your foundation is sand because you can't control it. You don't get to make all the choices. You know, last fall, I got sick last fall for the, really the first time in my life. It's first time I've spent a night in a hospital in my entire 64 years on the planet. And, but it ended up being about a three-month ordeal for me before they actually figured out what was wrong. And it really uh, changed my life last fall pretty dramatically. And it became so incredibly clear to me, <laughs> I am not in control. You know, any of you who've ever gotten sick in any kind of a serious way, you start finding out immediately what it starts to feel like to find a whole bunch of new doctors. The next thing you have, ologists after about six different people in your life. And you're, you're planning your entire schedule around doctor's appointments and tests and procedures and all of that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, my foundation, if, if my ability to manage and control all that is, is how I navigate my life, I start sinking in the sand. So let's go to the other builder here who built his house on the rock. And so how did he, how does he respond to the words of Jesus, which is the rock? He responds with what I call a humble and surrendered obedience. So the person who lives in a posture of surrendered obedience already realizes he cannot, she cannot survive, cannot be a follower of Christ apart from the grace of God. 
that person is often the first one to admit their need. The first one to admit they need help. You know, I mean, I can, I can have a hard time, you know, receiving help just by my wife Anne giving me directions. I mean, I, I can have a hard time receiving that. And that's just a, a small, small thing. Um, we were, when we were in Florida this past week, this guy was pulling a boat out in gale force wind. And this boat, I don't know how, this thing had to be 35 feet long. And he's trying to get it up on a trailer. So my wife, Ann, is a boater. She's boated all her life. Not that big, but still, she's boated all her life. So she's really handy with the ropes and all that stuff. She went and offered this guy, offered to help this guy, you know, grab a rope and help steady the boat. (laughs) And guy just looked at her and said, oh, I got it, I got it. He's like 73 years old. Oh, I got it, don't worry about it. And, and just, she walks back to the car and she just says, it's just, why, why, why can't they take help? Like, why? What's up with that? Men just can't take help. She's mumbling about that all the way back to the car. And you know, it's, it's, it really works very much against us, doesn't it? To The ability to meet or, or to give up control, to admit that we have a need, to surrender. The Sermon on the Mount describes what life on the rock looks like. And when we surrender, it involves our whole heart. It involves not just our mind, it involves our emotions. It involves our choices. It involves our desires. It involves our whole heart. So let me, let me read for you a few things that I think from the Sermon on the Mount that describe what life on the rock can look like. We build our lives on the rock when we mourn our sin, when we hate lust instead of dabble in it, when we go the extra mile when it costs something, when we seek to restore those we've wronged regardless of the cost to ourselves and whether that is our reputation or our finances, when we have the humility to recognize our own sin as a log in our own eye before we remove the splinter in someone else's eye. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. When we give to the needy and not expecting anything in return. When we don't advertise our good deeds with a write-up on our social media site. The words, don't, the words don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing aren't just words. They are how we practice generosity. When we invest in people where moth and rust cannot destroy, when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, when we turn our anxiety over to Christ because we see that he feeds the birds of the air and the clothes, the wildflowers, when we practice the golden rule and not the rule of reciprocity, expecting something in return. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of a lifestyle that is unnatural, that demands the cooperation and the submission to the ever-present Holy Spirit in us. It's why it's such a powerful thing to us. It's a, it, it really is expressing a lifestyle of surrender to the Word and to the Spirit and really, it's a request almost, it's a quest to slowly 
be transformed as you surrender to your leader. So the, the one who built his house on the rock is characterized by a surrendered obedience. That's the most important part, I think, of this entire conversation is not just identifying what the rock is, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, but really is putting a finger on how you and I respond to those words. And that is where a relationship with Jesus begins to take root and form in us. Because the Sermon on the Mount is a lot tougher than the Ten Commandments, but a lot less concrete. And a lot requires way more discernment from the Spirit of God. Way more. I mean, I would love to have the strength and understanding that enables someone to genuinely and naturally bless those who curse them. Or, you know, to, to walk through life in a graceful way, even with somebody maybe who laughs at your religion or your culture, or if even necessary, even if they were taking my life. Or I'd love to have the strength and understanding merely to give further needed assistance to someone who has forced you to drop what you were doing and to help them to offer the other cheek to someone maybe who has slapped it. And so clearly our entire inner reality of thought and feeling would just have to be slowly transformed in order to live in such a place. So a lot of people for years have thought the Sermon on the Mount was something for way, way in the future, like in the, in the new kingdom. Like it, it couldn't happen. We couldn't live that way in this life. And that's absolutely true. We, we can't. But we are invited to go there with God's spirit. So the question then is, so how, how do you and I live life on the rock? Like, how do we get there? And, you know, I, I've got some, just a couple of really simple things. They're not profound or complex in any way. And the first one I would just say to you is to ask. You know, it's really hard for me just to ask for directions. To ask, to lay down my pride, to lay down my control and simply ask to emphatically, to repeatedly express our desire to know Jesus more fully. It's really asking for surrendered obedience. That's what it's asking us for. And, and this is the beginning of looking for that relationship. You know, the very thing that Jesus identified in that, in that scary passage is to tell us, I'm looking for relationship. This is how this happens. Because when we ask, it's the Spirit of God that is there to respond. 
You know, Matthew 7, 7 and 8 from the sermon says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it shall be open. There's an open invitation always from God's spirit to ask. And the second thing I would just say is to dwell in his words. John 8, 31 and 32 says, if you dwell in my word, you really are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let the word of God and the spirit of God penetrate the whole heart. To dwell in his word, to let it penetrate our mind, our emotions, our desires, and our choices. To let it penetrate the wholeness of our being. You know, Rob said a couple of weeks ago, he challenged us to monitor how much time we're spending in the media and how that media saturation is imparting life change <laughs> or imparting, you know, how it's, what shaping influence it's having on us. And I would just throw out a challenge for you. You know, what if you took 30 minutes each day that you are currently spending in some form of media and you were to put that in the scriptures, a book, an audio version of the scriptures, some time with the gospel project, however, whatever, it, whatever would serve your heart to sit and listen to worship music, to memorize a text, whatever it is that would fill your heart. Because I'll bet you that if you begin to compare the impact on your inner world from some expression of 30 minutes of quiet a day, addressing God's spirit versus 30 minutes of you fill in the blank, Facebook, Instagram, a news program, whatever it is that we all spend our time with in the media that for many of us raise anxiety, raise fearfulness, sometimes even raise anger in us. So we, we can find ourselves walking around actually feeling angry as we walk through the day because of the time we've committed to our inner world to just be fed things that are not going to move your heart towards the Spirit of God. When Jesus said to those people on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. That's our opportunity this morning. That warning is an invitation so today on March 21st, this would be a great day to make a decision, to change, to make a, a decision, to make something new happen in your world. And that's really this, after we ask, is simply to, to just simply come along and say, you know what, I need to just simply decide because dwelling in the word, sometimes that's not really been our habit. So maybe today, and that's the third piece of this, is to decide. Decide that there's something new. And here's what you got to know about decisions like this. They're never one time, right? But they have to start somewhere. But they're decisions that we renew all the time. To choose where your heart and mind will spend its time needs to be a spirit-empowered choice 
and, and it needs some, we need to cultivate it as a way of life. You, you know, the, the reason, when we come here to church on Sunday, one of the reasons we come here, and there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is we come and we hear the word of God taught. We get our, our hearts elevated in worship and, and, and we go to a different place. And while that's happening here, while you're sitting here and you experience the synergy between the, the word of God, the worship of God, and the spirit of God in you, you often leave here with a conviction to change something. You leave here with a desire to grow in some area. You leave here feeling encouraged. You leave here feeling challenged. And all of that is, we might ascribe that to the teachers or the worship leaders or, or whatever, but what really is happening is that the spirit of God in you and the word of God coming together is causing a, a supernatural response in us. That's part of what it means for us to develop a relationship with Jesus through his spirit. God's spirit is at work all the time trying to cultivate a relationship between you and Jesus through the spirit. That's what's going on. So on March 21st of 2021 would be a great day to decide to make some changes or some choices for some of you, you know, you may have listened to the warning last week or the warning from the previous couple of weeks and you've been saying to yourself, I don't, I don't even, I'm not sure that I, I even am in relationship with Jesus. That last week, that passage undid my heart. I, I'm not sure. And I, I want to just give you the, the opportunity this morning. This is a great day to decide to enter in and say, Lord, today, I, I want to surrender Lord, I, I want to have surrendered obedience characterize my life. I want to build on the rock. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I need your leadership in my life. And today is the day to start that. And I want to encourage you before you leave today, it, it doesn't have to be any more than a moment before God to make that confession. But today's a great day for a decision. You know, we, we fail to become disciples. And when I say that, you know, a disciple is somebody who is working or committed to becoming like his master. And so, you know, the mission for people who are Christ followers is to, over the course of a long, whole life, is to slowly be transformed to become like Jesus, to think like Jesus thinks, to pray like he prays, to forgive like he forgives. That, that's the lifelong mission of a follower of Jesus. And for some of us, we just, there's never been a time where we've said to ourselves, I, I don't just want to be in the door. I just don't want to be a churchgoer, like I want to become a disciple, a follower. No better day to start that than today. You know, the thing that uh, I love about 
the idea of how we respond to the foundation, the rock, is because it always will bring us back to the potential to posture in grace. Grace reminds us always that we are not needing or can earning God's love, but rather we are unable to love because he loves us. You know, the Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. I don't know about you, but that's a great comfort to me that my ability to love God is resourced by his love for me. That's where it comes from. So even my ability to love God is a gift from God himself. And it helps me be postured as somebody who says, I need you. I can't even be a follower without your grace. And then you're on the, then you know you've built on the rock. You know, one of the inescapable reminders of today is that the calamities of life, the rain, the winds, you know, the storms are coming to all of us. But here's a great reminder as we think about sharing communion this morning that on the cross, you know, Jesus took the storm already. He already absorbed the storm that should have come our way. The storm. It, it crashed down on him instead of crashing on us. And you and I will rest in the shade eternally of the shadow of that cross. And so this morning, he invites us to come to his table so that our weary souls can find some rest and to be reminded that to live with surrendered obedience is to become like Jesus, as you think about his words as he was in the garden, getting ready to go to the cross, and he asked the Father, is there any way that you can remove this cup from me? And we all, you know his response. It was surrendered obedience. Not my will, but yours be done. So as we remember that, you can take this this crack or this symbol of his body and be reminded that he broke his body willingly for you and for me. And he said to do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also as a reminder. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together. Father, I want to thank you this morning for your word. I want to thank you that it is your spirit that teaches us, leads us, empowers us to respond to the truth of your word, to respond to the calamities of life, and to build the foundation of our life around a commitment to surrender in obedience to you. 
Lord, speak to our heart in any place we need to hear that this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.